Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. Welcome back to the Colonial Hills Podcast as we work through the uh, First John series that we've been working on, a letter about light, love, and life. Last week in the book of First John, we saw the danger of the world and the danger of false teachers, and we spent some time uh, working through how we should respond to each. This week, we are meditating on the fact that we are children of God, and the big idea from this passage is that children tend to act like their father. And that's true whether God is your father or whether Satan is your father. So joining me in the studio this morning is the one and only Matt Barfield. Hello. As well as Pastor Brandon. Hey there. So um, you guys are actually taking a class this week. Yes, we're we very, are. We're very into this. New Testament backgrounds. Backgrounds. Are, yeah. Have you learned anything about the background of the New Testament that would help with First John? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, not no. I guess maybe a little bit about like exile and people getting exiled to different places, and you know John and and how he was yeah. eventually exiled to Patmos. But that's the Revelation. We're so. still kind of in like We're the, still kinda... the pre-Christian uh-huh. era to where before Christ came and how that influenced how people thought. We haven't really gotten to post-Christian era. Yet. Well, we have but. seen that that people wrote in Greek and John wrote in Greek. So that's true. So there we go. That's fascinating. That's the background. Man, I should have taken this class. All <laughs> right. Hellenistic culture. Yeah. So. yeah. Hellenistic culture. Judaism and Hellenism. Ask us next week. Next week we'll be next ready week. to go. Okay. We'll have it all pumped. Once yeah. you've written your papers and right, for taken sure. the test. And, right. And now experts on it. It'll the be awesome. I won't have done either yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's go ahead and um, we'll just dive into this lesson. What does it mean to be God's child? And um, the way the lesson starts off, <clears throat> it picks up on this. I feel like this is a pretty common experience where you meet someone and then you realize, oh, they're a Smith, Johnson, Williams, fill in the blank. Uh, kind of funny random story about this. I put in the notes, you know, you hear suddenly that, that they are a, and then I, I just put down Smith, Johnson, Williams. And then I thought, well, let me just, I'm curious what the most common last names are in the U.S. And according to the first site that popped up on Google, which was probably the right one then, it was Smith, Johnson, and Williams. You are you are Google. I <laughs> I guessed it. Well, let's hope not. Yeah, I had a fun experience trying to put this into a translator because I, I taught the Filipino class this weekend, uh, and I wanted to have it available for them if they wanted it. Some of them did in, in Tagalog. And so I thought, did you use the word spitting image, I think, or something like that? Oh. He's a spitting image of his father. Or something yeah. Like I'm like, yeah, I can't put that in. <laughs> spitting That's image. not going to come out well. And be like, what? <laughs> That's true. Um, but... I think we're all familiar with that where you, you find out who someone is and then you realize, oh, they're related to this person. And I can totally see that. Um, I did a, a wedding uh, a couple of weeks ago and I saw for the first time the father of the groom and I immediately was like, oh, okay, yeah. yeah, I can see the resemblance there. Um, and so that happens on a spiritual level as well. And it, it's one of those things where it ought to happen, and yet it still needs to happen. And I think that's kind of one of the tension points in a lot of New Testament Christianity. We ought to look like the Father. We don't always look like the Father. We should want to look like the Father more, but if we don't look like the Father, that should concern us as well. And so we kind of find ourselves uh, caught in that matrix. Let me just open up with kind of a broad question. What does it mean to be God's child? What should it mean for us? Well, you know, whenever you think about a child, you think about birth, and, and spiritually we have to be born again. Mm-hmm. So we're born from above, we're born from, in a spiritual sense, uh, we have that, and the scripture goes into great detail on this, that we have that seed in us, right? So mm-hmm. there's actually a spiritual seed. Uh, so, you know, that, that idea of begetting, uh, mm-hmm. and we are begotten again, 
unto this new hope now. We have a God as our Father. Um, I think there's a very spiritual sense of, of regeneration and of new birth that's really in there. And then also, you know, the, Jesus makes it clear when he looks at the people, the Jews, and says, uh, if you had Abraham to your father, then you would do what he did. But mm-hmm. you don't because your father's a devil. Yeah. So, so there's that behavioral thing you just mentioned. Yeah, I think I typically tend to think of it the opposite direction where God is our father uh, rather than I'm his child. And I think mm-hmm. they go hand in hand, but the Bible talks about both of them. And personally, I probably spent more time meditating on God as my father, just the gentleness and meekness that he responds to me and just um, the natural overflow of the blessings that I receive of being his child. And um, I'm treated as God's child because of Christ um, and just the different blessings that flow through that and also his response to me. Uh, I naturally want my children to do well. I naturally want to give them good things. And uh, I, I think that's kind of the overall umbrella thought that I typically have when I'm thinking about being God's child. Well, and you, you want your kids to succeed. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, for me, that was one of the, one of the more helpful things, especially, you know, as you're wrestling through personal change and growth and things that you see in your life that you wish weren't there. And, you know, you feel the, the guilt and the shame of that. And, you know, you go to the Lord and you ask for forgiveness. And I remember, I think it was in college when it hit me, God wants me to succeed spiritually more than I want me to succeed yeah. spiritually. Like, God's not up in heaven, kind of on the edge. And sometimes that's how we picture him. I know that's the way my flesh tends to to revert back to thinking about God. God's not really sure what he thinks of Ben. We'll see how you do today. And that's not that's not the way a father works. A, a good father wants their child to succeed and is going to do what it takes to make their child succeed. And sometimes that means, you know, pushing them a little bit and um, uh, letting them feel the, the burn of their of their own choices, not because they hate them, but because they love them and they want them to learn from that. And uh, thinking of God in those terms, I know has been really helpful for me, uh, just realizing God's my father. He wants me to succeed spiritually more than I want me to succeed spiritually. And um, he's going to do what he, what he needs to, to make sure that that happens. And I think that helps me too. just thinking even about uh, somewhat of a difficult topic that a lot of people bring up. I don't necessarily want to discipline my children. That's not something that I enjoy, that I love, Mm -hmm. um, but I know that they need it. It's what's best for them. And because I want them to succeed, because I want them to do right, um, I'm willing to do sometimes the uncomfortable things for me personally and discipline them. But along that same vein, when we are disciplined by God, even uh, it's because he wants what's best for us. And he's trying to bring us back and he's trying to show that he is our father. We read that in Hebrews. Mm Mm-hmm. In Jordan, uh, I got another angle of of what it means to be a father. Um, you know, we have a lot of the feeling kind of side. You all just mentioned, um, yeah. but in the Middle East, it's the the emotions are kind of programmed a little differently. Or at least they appear to be uh, from our perspective. And so, but but at the same time, it's very clear that you're going to do what your father did, what your grandfather did, what his grandfather did. There are people that are still going to the same church building because. That's what they've been doing because their great grandfather did it, their grandfather did it, their father did it, and so you know there's a lot of uh, expectation of maintaining family honor because mm-hmm. it, you know we that honor side of it comes out. Yeah, I want to honor my father. I want to I want to respect him because I want to be respected too, right? So I want my kids to respect me. So I'm going to respect my father. And so there's there's this desire to do what's right to please because of, of love that mm-hmm. you guys mentioned, which is good, 
but also because of honor and respect mm-hmm. and yeah. duty. And, um, you know, there are all kinds of family obligations that we all have, regardless of our culture. And, and some of those are honorable and dutiful and, and those kinds of things. And so, um, you know, that, that, that's something that sometimes as Americans, we, we kind of flip around. We, don't, yeah. we, go, we skirt past a little bit. Um, and it, it came out to me, uh, you know, I, I was talking to somebody about a biblical text. And, uh, you know, it was about husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And it was a, another guy in leadership. I said, hey, what do you think of that? He goes, oh, yeah, you know. It's okay. Of course, he doesn't really love his wife. It's a, he's, you know, and I, I said, yeah, but what do you think about it? He said, well, it's in the Bible. We know it's there, but we've never seen anybody do it, so we don't do it. Right? So that's where the, wow. the, the father trend yeah. did not go well. You know? I never saw my father do it. He never saw his father do it. So, so how am I supposed to do that? Exactly right. And, that, and this was a thinking person, a very well-considered hmm. believer. Uh, this is not somebody just casually this guy's put it on the line for christ but that process is how he thinks mm. um and so i said well how about we start the trend we'll be the fathers who do <laughs> this so that somebody else can do it down the line and and to think that as christians we have such great testimonies of god's children who have done that right they've mm. looked at their father they've acted like him we get to read their biographies we get to read their histories we get to hear their stories and say wow god did that god taught them that they lived like that we could do that too yeah so as we uh, continue on in the series, or in this lesson, I should say, first point here on the lesson is that being a child of God brings both responsibility and blessing. What a segue from Matt Barfield. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> from honor and duty to responsibility. Uh, there you go. <laughs> it's like we planned it. It's mm. good. Um, and so we just kind of uh, tick through the different responsibilities and then go through the different blessings. Um, the first responsibility that we see is the responsibility to abide. And this is a word... Uh, that shows up a lot in John, uh, 67 times in the letter of John and in the letters of John and the Gospel of John. So John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, 67 times we see the word abide or remain or continue. Um, and 23 times in 1st John specifically. Um, so the question that we have to ask then, and this is one that I think um, I'm still trying to process and working through, what exactly does it mean to abide in Christ? I asked that question of the Filipino class to see oh, yeah? how they did. Because it's a little bit of a arcane word. It's not a word that's used mm-hmm. a, a lot. And so you could tell that it was kind of, I mean, I think the semantic range, everybody got the idea of staying there and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. But but there was a little bit of, of static loss in some of the yeah. some of the word there. And, I, and so I said, you know, one of the words we used to use for home was abode. Your home is your abode. Mm. Uh, it's where you dwell. And I think that's what we kind of got into. It's where you dwell. It's where you live. It's where you, it's, it's, it's kind of a more full way of thinking of remaining. It's like, I'm experiencing all that's in this thing. I'm, I'm here and I'm in it. I'm, I'm, it's all wrapped up around me and I'm part of this thing. That's kind of how I tried to explain it to the mm-hmm. poor Filipinos having to listen to me explain it. <laughs> God bless them. Yeah. And to add on to that, that that's how I've explained it historically. That's, that's where I'm home, at home. That's where I'm dwelling. Uh, and going back to John 15, uh, I, I think we can get a little bit more of an idea of what he's talking about that, except uh, it says, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. And I mean, that is where I have to go to get my nourishment, my strength, my support, my um, source of um, any spiritual life. Like I can't produce it on my own. Um, I've got to rely on him. I've got to be meditating on God's word. I've got to be following him, obeying him, that that is my way of life, that that is um, 
Jesus Christ is my life, and I'm trusting on him to um, produce that fruit in me because I can't produce it myself. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I'm i the kind of person who likes to have technical, precise definitions and things clearly laid out. I never would have guessed. Yeah, surprisingly <laughs> enough. I know everyone at the church is shocked. I, this, I don't know. This word abide, it almost seems to elude that, um, to avoid it, to, to just— <laughs> I don't know. You know, it, that it, makes me very happy that your desire for a precise definition eludes you. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's one of those things where um, I, I have a general idea of, of what it means, you know, that, sure. that we're remaining in him, that he's our abode. That, um, but what, what does that look like? And I think trying to figure out what that looks like in a, in a day-by-day basis or even just reading through John, um, time and time and time again to get a clear understanding in our minds of, okay, what does this abiding in Christ look like? It's huge. You know, it, John basically sums up our Christian life as abide in him. And if you don't abide in me, then you're not a part of me. And um, so I don't know. It, it's one of those things that I, I think, uh, yeah, just reading through John. And and I think it's one of those things in life where you, you kind of figure out what it looks like uh, to abide in Christ. And, and, and there's there's helps in, in John 15, you know, he talks about letting his words abide in us and his love abide in us. And so if we keep his commands and, and so all of these things go together and, and these are, are things that we're generally familiar with, right? If you're a Christian, you should, you know, love is the greatest commandment and we should be letting God's words abide in us and we should obey him. Like these are, are not uh, brand new revolutionary concepts like, whoa, I've never thought of that before, but this understanding to put it all in that by doing those things, I'm abiding in Christ um, is I think it's, it's helpful. And it's also, it's also a challenge. It's also challenging, at least for me, my personality, I kind of want to nail it down a little bit clearer than that. And I don't know, maybe, maybe not supposed to. Well, there are, there are certainly words that are experiential like this Mm -hmm. that take, take you experiencing it to really understand it. And then there are words that are more analytical that, that, that are designed to lay out. This is, this is one, this is zero. Okay. Yeah. Like it's, it's either one or the other. So, yeah, and this is one of those things where even when, when Brandon said it's where you're dwelling, I thought oh, that's another word for home is a dwelling, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Abode is a word for dwelling, like it's a word for home. So it's interesting that, that these are experiential words, right? These are mm-hmm. experiential concepts. And, and there are some things there, there are always things that you're not going to know until you do it. That's just the way it's, that's the way these things are mm-hmm. lined up. And so, um, you know, the command to abide, abide in me, uh, that's, that's a wonderful thing you gave there for talking about the vine, because it, it's, 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 it's dead if it's not attached. It's, it's dead if it's not abiding, if it's not dwelling, if it's not living there. Yeah. So the first uh, obligation really is that we abide in Christ. Uh, the next one is the obligation of living righteously, and this comes from verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone um, that doeth righteousness is born of him. Um, uh, we'll uh, keep going just for time's sake. There's also, and th- these two kind of go together, the responsibility to purify oneself. And all of the, these uh, have as their backdrop uh, in, in John's mind the coming of the Lord. And so uh, the return of Christ is a big theme uh, throughout this passage. When he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Uh, And then in verse 3, verse 2, I should say, Beloved, now now are we the sons of God. We are currently. 
and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. So in other words, we are the sons of God in one sense, but in another sense, we're going to be fuller sons of God. Some, something's going to change as a result of that. But he says, we don't know what that will be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope, the hope of Christ's return in him, purifieth himself, even as he is pure. And so I guess the next question that I would have is, how does knowing that Jesus is pure and righteous lead us to being pure and righteous? And how does, uh, well, we'll just, we'll start off with that one. How does knowing that Jesus is pure and righteous lead us to being pure and righteous? Well, uh, I mean, there's a lot of different avenues you could go there. Uh, and I think that uh, if I'm abiding in Christ, as he's flowing from that thought, I'm going to want to be like him. And also, um, there's going to be a hatred for sin that John's already talked about. Um, that since I'm the son of God, I'm a child of God, I'm going to want the same desires are going to be instilled in me. Um, and we talked about a desires a lot in First John, um, that ultimately I want to please him, and he is righteousness. And so that ought to be my pursuit because I want to be like him and uh, because uh, I want to please him because I love him. And all those things are, are tying together. And I, again, I'm trying to nail it down in my mind to one specific thought. I mean, all those things are kind of coming together for me um, where, uh, again, his desires are going to become my desires if I truly love him and abide in him and want to be like him. It's, um, I was thinking about your earlier question about <laughs> abiding and how the, um, it's kind of like our organs abide in our body, you know, and they're all functioning fine until one of them has a problem. And then you have to get a you know, an organ replacement, you got to get an organ uh, donor, donor, right? And so when that happens, all kinds of things have to help that new organ abide in your body, hmm. right? There's things that just aren't working right. So, you know, we're born again. So we belong as being part of God's body, Christ's body. We're, we're with him, right? When sin comes in, it's like there's an organ rejection process. Hmm. And it's like, we're not working right in the body, and there needs to be some way to make that. Maybe that's a good analytical way of doing this. Uh, and, and purity is part of that, right? What, what makes us work well in the body of Christ is purity. Christ is pure. We're pure because we're allowing his life to flow through us. When those impurities stack up, we don't work well in the body anymore. We got mm -hmm. problems. There's organ rejection. And, and, and something has to happen to help that function go back to normal, go back to where it's abiding properly. And that's mm -hmm. purity. That's righteousness, right? That's, that's his righteousness flowing through me. I can't accomplish that in myself. I was wholly outside of the body without Christ, right? There's no way I'm in, right? The, the, the body would reject me. I don't fit there. But then Christ cleans me, forgives me, makes me pure, puts me in the body, and everything's working fine, right? Mm -hmm. And then sin comes in, and that starts to work again. So, so why do we, you know, how, how do I, how does impurity affect me? It makes me not function well in the body. It, it makes me a, a problem for the body rather than a blessing. Well, and, you know, the <clears throat> the idea of unrighteousness and impurity uh, is really associated in First John with the idea of, of hatred as opposed to love. Yeah. And we don't—one thing that, that's really struck me as, as I've read through First John is this may seem kind of odd. You know, we tell our kids, don't say hate. You know, don't say that you hate your brother, which is good. You don't want your, you know, your two- or three- or four-year-old telling sure. their siblings <laughs> that they hate them. That's not good. It's not their new— so, new word. <laughs> but I think we end up growing up and, and hatred's not a word that's allowed to enter into our vocabulary. And, and so, you know, are there Christians 
in our churches that hate other people, we would say, oh, I would hope not. Well, I, I would hope not too, but, but John sees hatred, real true hatred, as a, as a legitimate threat to the Christian community. And he says, you are not allowed to hate one another. And, um, you know, we, we talk a lot <clears throat> about anger and bitterness, and I think those are, are, are good. Those are biblical terms. Uh, the Bible doesn't talk a whole lot about bitterness per se. It doesn't use the word bitterness a whole lot. It does on a few occasions. It, John talks a lot about hatred, and I think maybe thinking of it in those terms would be helpful uh, because that, in our minds, takes it up a notch. Well, I, I wouldn't say I hate them, but I'm, yeah, I, I think I'm struggling with bitterness. Well, how do you, how do you make that distinction? What, what does it mean to hate someone? And um, I think when we look at, if we take that broader view of hatred, then when we look at impurity and when we look at unrighteousness, it develops this, this hatred of other people that in our actions destroys the work of the body. And the way we overcome that is holiness and holiness will lead to love. So you have kind of these, these, this chasm and on one side you have love and purity and righteousness and those three all go together. And on the other side of the chasm, you have hatred and impurity and unrighteousness and those all go together. And we either are heading in the direction of loving other people more or of loving ourselves and hating other people more. And as we do that, we descend into sin. And as we descend into sin, we descend into hatred. And these, these ideas all seem to be tied together. Well, I would just reread verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, that's what we're talking about here. How does, know that, how does knowing that Jesus is pure and righteous lead us to be pure and righteous? Uh, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. And again, there's an identi- identity there that it identifies me with Christ if I want to be righteous and separate from sin. And when you take it back to that analogy of uh, growing up, I wanted to be like my dad. Yeah. I mean, he, he, I wanted to be like him and I wanted to be identified with him. I was never embarrassed to be a Hamilton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I'm, I never want to be embarrassed to be a Christian or to be like Christ. And he's righteous. And um, that's my... That's my defense, according to First John. Jesus Christ, the righteous, and if I'm born of Him, I'm going to be following like, be following Him, and be like Him. We do need to get more comfortable with the idea of hatred and understanding that. Uh, I think that's, I think it is important. Um, Jesus says in Luke 14, "If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother, wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple." So, Christ, Christ wants us to understand. Um, that he has to be our first love. He has to be the one that we must have more mm-hmm. than more than our own life. I have to have him more than my own life. And when he's the one that we love, then then all the other things work out properly. When he's mm-hmm. not, we've put him in the place of hatred. And that's that's something that when I talk about mm-hmm. the Great Commission, Matthew twenty eight says, "Go and make disciples of all nations." So what's a disciple? Well, Luke fourteen is one very great text that describes what a disciple is. A disciple is a person who has Christ as his love. And has no other plans than to serve him and draws all of his power from himself. That's from the three definitions or descriptions of a disciple in that chapter. And so, you know, the truth is, I'm looking at Christians who have Christ, and this is true of me too. If Christ isn't my first love, then he's in the place of hatred in my life. And I would never, I, it's weird to walk into a church and say, you all hate Jesus. Yeah. I mean, it's weird to do that, but that's not wrong to have say Have you ever that. done that? I have. I have. <laughs> wow. And, I, and I, I've really prefaced it a lot because I hate to be, a, I don't want to. Yeah, it's just, not the first statement. I don't want to yeah. just drop a bunch of bombs, but I want people to think, if Christ is not the one that I hold first, the example I give is, is, uh, is Jacob and Rachel. Jacob loved Rachel. He hated Leah. And mm. you don't really see a big difference because they're all living together, having kids and having a family until Esau comes with us 400 men with the swords. Mm. Then you see who he yeah. loves because he puts Leah 
ahead of Rachel, closer to the swords. He puts Leah closer to the swords. So now you ask Leah, does he love you or does he hate you? Oh, he hates me. Yeah. Right, because there's the swords, and and I'm a human shield for Rachel, you know, and that's that's what Christ wants to be. He wants to be our Rachel, right? Mm-hmm. He wants to be the one that I love when I don't have a lot of resources. He wants to be the one that I will pick above everybody else. I must have this one. I must have him if I don't have anything else. That's that's quite a challenge, and and I think when we think about what John's describing of 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 loving him, of walking with him, that having that hatred comparison is helpful because I can say, is Jesus the one that I must have or is am I the one that I must have? Mm-hmm. And then Luke 14, we're not disciples. Yeah, that's good. Um, we'll keep moving on and just for time's sake here. Um, being a child of God, uh, also next point here, uh, we'll skip over the, the blessings, which feels wrong, but... Again, just, um, we need those blessings, man. <laughs> we'll 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 read them at least. The blessing of confidence that is coming if we sure. if we um are abiding in Him, then we don't have to be ashamed when He comes. I think that's important too. You know, sometimes we can. I don't want to say we're too hard on ourselves, but we set the standard up of of absolute perfection, and we 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 talk all the time about how well nobody's perfect, and we'll always struggle with sin, and. I think those are, are helpful reminders, but if those become the focus, then there can you can almost fall into this hopeless situation where it's like, well, you know, I'm still a sinner and I've always struggled with sin and that's just the way it's always going to be. Instead of realizing, uh, no, by God's grace, I, I can come to a place of faithfulness to the Lord as a, as a life pattern, yeah. of obedience as a life pattern. Are there going to be exceptions to that pattern because of the weakness of my flesh? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there will be, but but that doesn't negate the fact that I can come to a place of of love and faithfulness to Christ and that that's something that even that I can continue to grow in. Right. And, and, and so that when Christ comes, it's not like, well, Lord, I, I really screwed it all up, but boy, I'm glad that you love me anyway. No, there can be confidence that says, you know, Lord, I've been living for you and I'm excited that you're here and I'm excited to show you what I've been up to on, yeah. on your name and on your behalf. That defeated mindset is unbelief. Yeah. Right. It's, it's me focusing on what, what I am without him rather than what I am with him. And I, I, I wrote a little poem when I was uh, many years ago. Uh, will I be singing when the trumpet sounds? What am I going to be doing? You know, will mm. I be praying when the trumpet sounds? Will, will I be waiting when the trumpet sounds? Will, what, what will he interrupt me doing when he comes back? And that, that challenged me to think like that. Oh, man, he's coming back. I want to see him. I want to see him with victory on my hands and not defeat. I want to be, mm-hmm. be a victorious Christian when Christ goes back. Yeah. Um, the blessing of the privilege of being God's child. Just to, you know, I love the way John describes this. Behold, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's like an exclamation point. Wow, what manner of love yeah. the Father has bestowed upon us. Yeah, look at this. Look at this. Guys, this is unbelievable. Yeah. Stop. Wait. <laughs> that we should be called the sons of God. Mm-hmm. Can you believe that? Amazing. And I think sometimes we so easily, we just skim over that, you know. Uh, we've been taught that since we were children. Oh, you're a child of God. We and know the, so, little, the little song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Behold, Behold what manner of love the Father hath given unto us. Hey. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> okay. Whoa. All right. Um, Didn't learn that part. That took a CCM <laughs> turn real fast, man. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no, we would not sing CCM here on the Colonial Hills podcast. We then have uh, the blessing of hope in Christ's return. Um, and that's uh, found there in verse uh Two, when we when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Uh, being a child of God also means taking our sin seriously. We've talked about that. Uh, we shouldn't sin because sin is dangerous. We shouldn't sin because Christ came to deal with sin. And uh, we shouldn't sin because it is impossible for those who truly know God. This is one of those things, 
where you read it and you just kind of say, huh? Yeah. Um, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. And you just read that and you're like, come again, John? Are you, are you sure you want to sure write that? Um, we were having a, a teacher's training meeting and somebody asked a question with, I, I don't remember if it was this verse or verse like this, like, now, is it a, could you translate it this way or, or could you translate it that way? And I came back and I said, well, you could probably interpret it that way. I think that that might be fair. But w- when it comes to translation, I mean, the, this is what it this, says. The English is just <laughs> reflecting what the Greek says. Right. This I, is I what mean, it says. whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. I mean, that's what the, the Greek says. Now, I think we do have to ask, okay, what, what does he mean by that? Because I think we understand that John is not saying that if you sin once, oh, that means you were never really saved. Um, you can easily tell that from chapter one. Like right. That's, that's obviously not where he's going. Yeah. So that raises the question. So what does John mean by this? I'll just throw that out oh, to the boy. group. Yeah. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him nor known him. Well, I mean, as you're reading it, you kind of get the, the thought that um, if you abide in him, you will not sin. So if I'm, if I'm sinning, that means that at, at that point in time, at that p- part of my life, I'm not truly abiding in him. Uh, I'm not getting my source from my source of strength from him. I'm not looking to him to resist temptation. I'm not looking to him as a motivation for being pure and righteous. Uh, I'm not focusing on the right things. I'm not abiding in him. I'm abiding somewhere else. And we've had that kind of yeah. gray area. Like, what does that exactly yeah. mean? Yeah. And we're kind of left with that tension. And I think that's why we're like, what, what does this verse <laughs> exactly yeah. mean? Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. We, we read abide in him and we go, okay, okay, I can abide in him. They're like, well, if you, if you abide in him, you're not sinning. Like, whoa, wait a second. Now, 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 wait a second. Isn't it just as outlandish to think that I could abide in him? Isn't that even, isn't that more incredible than the idea that I'm not going to, you know, the measure of the Christian life is Christ, right? That he, mm-hmm. Christ is our life, mm-hmm. right? So it's understandable that, that if Christ is living in us and if that's possible and I live in him, I'm abiding in him. He's abiding in me. If that's actually happening, then I'm going to do what Christ does. Like that's, that mm-hmm. is what that means. Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes we, we want to we want to cut ourselves slack. We want to lower expectations, and we try to ameliorate this some way. Find a new translation. There's a new, mm-hmm. there's some translation that makes me not feel as bad about this. <laughs> but it's it, if if this makes us pause, whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. The concept of abiding in him that ought to make us pause even more. Mm-hmm. The fact that I could dwell with Jesus Christ the righteous and dwell in him and him in me, and that could actually work somehow, that's way more crazy than the idea that I might be able to avoid sinning. So is abiding in him just reading the you version verse that it pushes to you every morning, <laughs> and that's it? I, I guess we got to go a little deeper <laughs> than that. got to go a little bit more than that. So. Well, you know, Matt, um, I think actually your illustration earlier was helpful, where you said, you know, I, you know that you would tell churches you hate Jesus. And you, would, and you said, I, I didn't start there. I built up to that. Right. But I wanted them to realize the importance of what I was saying, and I wanted to get through to them. And I think in some ways, John is doing the same thing. This is chapter 3, verse 6. We're almost yeah. halfway through the book. Right. He did not lead off with, whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. I mean, he's built up to that. Mm. But I do think he, he wants us to take this seriously. Yeah. And, and I think he's dealing, um, I, I think part of the background of this letter is that he's dealing with these false teachers. And one of the things they seem to be pushing is this, casual carefree attitude towards sin where it's not that big a deal and that's why he starts off the letter by saying look god is light and in him there's no darkness at all and if you're walking in the darkness and say that you have fellowship with him you're lying um he does start there 
And so I think, you know, what he's trying to do is he's trying to push back against this idea of like, well, yeah, you can have, you, you can be involved in sin. And if you're involved in sin, then it's, you know, you can still have yeah. a relationship with God. And John, again, he's been careful to get to this point, but he's, he's finally looking at his audience and saying, if you are living in an ongoing lifestyle of sin and you say that, you know, God, you're, you're self-deceived, you don't know God because yeah. If the li- if you are living the life of God, if the life of God is flowing through you, the, the life of Christ, and he talks about life all throughout this letter, if that life of Christ is flowing through you, you will not sin. Mm. And if you are living an ongoing lifestyle of sin, you're not abiding in Christ. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, and it's that urgent. I mean, I go to these missions conferences and I preach about missions, and I want to tell people, you know, I want churches to say the missions is for us. Great commissions incumbent upon us. We've got to go do this. So we have to make disciples of all nations. We've got to be disciples to make disciples. So we really need to understand this. And if we're not doing this, it's, we're not going to get missions done, no matter how much money we give. Mm. Right? If we're not disciples who make disciples of all nations, we are not going to complete the Great Commission. We're not, we're not going to obey it. It's not going to happen. And so this is even more urgent. This is the Christian life. And yeah. John's like, John builds up to this point because we need to see this clearly. We need to understand this clearly. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Chapter one, he says, I, I, I write these things that you don't sin. And if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. Right. Mm-hmm. But then he says, <laughs> if you're continually living in sin, and so you're a believer, you're, you're a liar. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he builds that tension. And this verse that we just read is in light of chapter one, what he already wrote. Mm-hmm. So he, he's being balanced. Yeah. Um, it, Definitely, definitely sobering truths. And um, again, you know, we never want to cause a, a genuine believer with a sensitive conscience to walk away and feel like, okay, well, must be, I'm, I'm really not safe yeah. because I screwed up again. And, and John doesn't want that either. But for people who have a hard, calloused view of their sin, who have an apathy and an indifference towards their sin, and who aren't progressing in holiness and really see no need to progress in holiness— um, and don't see the life of Christ being worked out in them. And yeah, we're messy people, and the life of Christ being worked out is going to come with bumps along the way. But if you don't see that as a general pattern, um, John says you you really should sit down and, and take stock because you you haven't seen him or mm-hmm. known him. Because if you see God and you know God, you're not going to want to sin, and you're not ultimately going to continue to sin. The clearer I see God, the less I sin. The more I sin, the less clearly I see God. And um, so definitely some sobering shoes here mm-hmm. from the letter of 1 John. That brings us to our last point, and we have uh, pretty much run out of time, so I'll just kind of skim over this and maybe ask a question or two. Uh, finally, being a child of God puts us in opposition to the devil. Mm. And his point here is that the children of the devil sin like their father, and the children of God uh, do not sin. Again, uh, verse 9, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. And this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. And you're like, okay, maybe, maybe John just got a little bit excited in chapter three, verse six. Like maybe he's going to back off. <laughs> it's like, no, no. he's going to come back. Yeah. He's going to double down on this. You have got to be living a, a, a regenerate lifestyle if you want to claim that, that you are born of God. And there's where hatred belongs. You know, we, I hate the I hate the wicked one. I hate the enemy. Yeah, I really do. And and there's times where you can see his work, and and I get so riled up, I get so fired up, mm-hmm. and I've just got to say, the Lord rebuke you, and, yeah. and just take it back to the Lord who can stand against him, because um, I hate him. 
You yeah. know, and that's where hatred should belong. You see that in Paralandra, if you've read Paralandra, uh, where, where there's a place for hatred to burn and it's against the work of the wicked one. Mm. That's good. Well, I, I think okay. last thing I'll say, that closing statement in 10, whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God. We, we have become very good at trying to find fruit mm. where there probably isn't any in ourselves and sometimes in, we have ulterior motives yeah, yeah we have ulterior motives we're trying to justify somebody right you'll know them by their fruits makes if us feel better yeah it makes our system feel good right no if there's no fruit <laughs> you're not of god neither he that loveth not his brother if you hate your brother yeah again that that's a character loving your brother is a characteristic of a believer if there's no fruit and there's no love john's pretty straightforward yeah well, uh, we'll go ahead and uh, wrap it up there. A serious note to end on, but a, a serious passage to study. Uh, next week, we're going to be back, and we're going to be looking at kind of the flip side of some of this as we discuss 1 John three eleven through 24, which is a, a section all on the importance of loving one another. So we're going to ask the positive question, what does it look like uh, to love one another? And we'll be contrasting the hatred of the world with the love of believers, and we'll ask several questions such as these. How should Christians respond when, not if, but when they are hated by the world, uh, what does it look like to actually love other Christians? What does this mean? How do, we, how do we go about doing that? And what should someone do if they look at their life and they aren't sure they see love for their fellow believers? Um, we'll be digging into these questions and more next week. We hope to see you then. See ya. Bye. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.